Welcome to Curva Mundial. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Curva Mundial. I am your host, Sal Bono, and today my next guest is someone who I consider a ray of sunshine in dark times, someone who keeps the soccer community in check when it needs to be and just makes you fall in love with the sport every time he's on air. Please welcome to the show, Peru, an Aston Villa supporter, and I'm very excited to have him, Luis Miguel Ichigaray. Very good, man. You said my last name so beautifully. You're an adopted Peruvian already. <laughs> I mean, your cuisine is just one of my favorites on the planet. So it's, I'm very, that, that is just, that's a great way to start. Preach, this man, preach. We, we, we have the best food. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's like, I feel like there are certain underrated food countries. Um, South Africa being my top and Peru being a very close second. And yeah, just, well, listen, uh, you know, the fact that you're Italian and you're telling me that, 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 that's, uh, that's high praise. So I love it. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like it. It's just, it's just perfect. It's perfect. But food aside, <laughs> it's been a long time getting you here so i want to just jump right in um you're someone who lives and breathes this game and is the perfect guest to have on because you love your teams with undying affection but also remain a neutral when reporting on how they do as well as rivals and other clubs that sometimes for me personally who wears everything on his sleeve is the hardest part of the job but how do you pull it off yeah that's a good question uh sal uh, honestly I think I have like a different type of philosophy to a lot of people out there, a lot of uh, presenters, analysts, whatever. They like to be neutral or at least they like to say they like to be neutral. But I believe that's almost a facade because, you know, everybody has an emotional attachment to a team, whether it's a national team or a club. And and denying that kind of love for, for it is, 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 is almost lying to the audience. So I always just say, look, I'm a lifelong Aston Villa fan. I have a deep emotional connection to the club. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, obviously the Peruvian national team as well. But I believe that I can, you know, create fragments and emotionally support a club and at the same time understand that there's a game at hand and the opponent you know is offering you know their own objectives and and me me offering you know a, a biased assessment of the game that's different to my relationship with my club i mean i'm peruvian man i'm i'm latino like i'm i'm not going to you know uh sort of alienate my emotions from you know what I love, what I support, just because I'm in the industry, and I think anybody that tells you no, like I'm neutral, I, I'm a journalist, and whatever, I I believe that, that that you can do both. You can emotionally have a connection with 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 something that you love, and at the same time offer a real you know neutral perspective on the action, and also call your team out when they're playing exactly. garbage, like as any other, or when they're not playing up to snuff, you know. Yep. 100%. I think that that that's a that's a very good point. Like if anything it makes you you know uh better because you, you you're paying in attention with a, with a fine comb and you and you're trying to pick out the details on the vulnerabilities from your club. I mean, listen. You know, as a Villa fan and a Peruvian fan, <laughs> there's a lot to pick out. So so you know, to me that that that's very important. But I I honestly truly believe that you can have an emotional connection to the team that you support and at the same time make a neutral assessment uh unbiased assessment cool you know you have a hell of a backstory you were born and raised in peru moved to england and spent your teen years there then came to america as an adult and studied acting and now doing sports reporting all of these dots connect somehow 
But what was it like growing up in Peru and then moved to such a different place like the United Kingdom? And how yeah. was it back then for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Another good question. Uh, let me just edit one thing, which is uh, part of my yeah ridiculous story when I reflect on my own life and my sisters and my family and stuff. So, yeah, uh, born to Peruvian parents. I'm Peruvian 100%. My entire family is Peru. I grew up in Peru, uh, in Lima. My dad is from Cusco. My mom is from, uh, was from Lima. Both have sadly passed away, but that, that's where my family is. I still have family in Peru and I still have family in England because my aunts uh, moved to England in the late 70s. They married uh, Brits. And, and so there was a little connection there. But at 11, 12 years old, early 90s in Peru, very troubling times in Lima, Peru, uh, due to Sendero Luminoso, the shining path, a, a lot of unbalance, both politically, culturally. So my parents wanted to, you know, kind of think of a new journey for us. And one day my parents were like, we're moving back to England. And I was like, what do you mean back to England? I've never been to England. I don't know what that what you're talking about. I was like, and my dad was like, oh, we never told you you were born there. Like I had no idea I was accidentally born in England during a vacation when my parents were visiting uh, my dad's sisters. And as soon as I was born in England, I went back to Peru and I never knew I was born in England. Like, so I was accidentally born in England. I found that out at 11 and we immigrated to England. And from there, I, I I grew up until I was 23, until I left college. So I'm like a real life Paddington Bear, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say, I was like, wait a minute, you know, that was going to be a joke here, but you beat me to the punch. Um, it is, wow. I mean, yeah. that is, that's a bombshell to hear. You know, hey, you're yeah, I always, by the way. I, and to be honest with you, I'm mad at myself for being stupid because like when we were going to like, you know, if we went uh, abroad when I was a kid, if we like, for example, travel to like a neighboring South American country and we had to show our passports, mine was, I had two, obviously the Peruvian, but mine was also Burgundy. And, but I never thought like about, about it. And I realized, oh, oh, that's why. Oh, so I have, that's why I have a British, but, but, you know, at nine years old, I'm not even thinking about that stuff. But again, you know, in retrospect, I'm like, oh, you're an idiot. You should, probably should have like picked up the pieces. <laughs> but everybody else in my family, like my sister, you know, born in Peru, like everybody, I, I was just accidentally born in England. And that's why the journey of my family, essentially uh, chapter two, so to speak, uh, was it was in the UK. Man, that is that's insane and amazing at the same time, but also shows, you know, what the power of a family will do and what all, you know, in a time when everyone's kind of like saying like, Hey, why are people coming where they're coming from? There's always a good, yeah, right. It's it. the life story of the immigrant, right? It's, yeah. it, it's, it's kind of like, and everybody has a very, you know, so sometimes I feel that you know, due to the fast paced digital world and, you know, uh, everybody having an opinion, including my own, you know, and goldfish memories and living on Twitter and having conversations, we forget that human beings have a lot of layers and a lot of context and a lot of stories. And we forget that not everything is black and white. Not everything is as, you know, as simple as a, you know, a tweet or, or you can't predict or, or, uh, describe the life of a person in a post like there's so much more layers to it so that's why I always like to tell the full story because everybody has a story and, and it's important to understand it and and nobody's perfect and everybody wants to go through it and I think it's great to do things like this like these podcasts and stuff because you get to really you know uh, get to know a human being and I feel like every now and again 
definitely in the football world, we lose that a little bit. We like to have opinions, but we forget that there's a human being behind them. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's the, the both the player, the fan, the managers. I mean, they all have personal lives. I just found out this week. So I, by the time this episode airs, Thomas Tuchel will have been sacked for probably a few weeks at this point. But um, this week he was sacked, but I didn't realize that he was going through a divorce. Yep, that's right. And it's just like, I sit here and I go, damn, like, who am I to now call him out on why a team worth billions of dollars is not doing well? Yeah. It's uh, you, we lose sight of that is right. You know, yeah. now assuming that because you were living in England, that is where the Villa fandom came about. But you know what they say about assumptions? It's the mother of all F-ups. Mother of all of them. Um, so what made you fall in love with that team? Yeah. Um, so that's a that's a special story for sure. I moved to England when I was 11, 12. We moved to the south of England, uh, I, you know, and it was very difficult for me at the very beginning to acclimate myself to the culture, like very different, obviously early nineties, Lima to early nineties, London or, or sorry, it was just, it was tough. You know, I, I spoke English, but it was broken. I wasn't obviously used to like the slang and the, the way, you know, Brits talk and obviously Latinos are not massively well represented there they are more now but definitely not back then you know obviously in america that's weird to hear because obviously the latin american community is massive but in england that's not the case it's more south asian and uh, you know uh, indian pakistani etc that's a that's a major uh community there but not latino so when i moved to england and i would tell people you know, uh, we lived in a neighborhood and there was a lot of Turks and a lot of Greeks. The Greeks thought I was Turkish. The Turkish thought I was Greek. And I was like, I'm, I'm neither. I'm Peruvian. And they had no idea what that meant. So it was very difficult for me to acclimate. But obviously, I love soccer and I love uh, I wanted to, like, acclimate myself to that and sort of find soccer as a as a avenue for me to, like, really get used to to where I was now living. But I didn't have a team and it was the beginning of the Premier League. It was a year into it, actually, and I didn't I didn't feel connected to the London teams for some reason. Uh, but I didn't have any friends, really. And then I made my first proper best friend, this kid called Mark, and he was a huge Villa fan, massive. And he was like, my team's Aston Villa. And I was like, that sounded also Spanish a little bit because, you know, Villa and all that stuff. So he anyway, he took me to his house and there in his house you know, just uh, posters of players and Dalian Atkinson and all these people. And I was just like, you know, I, I connected with the Claret and Blue and then his family, like, you know, we would also go to Villa Park and home games, you know, take the train to Birmingham and stuff. And so I just built this relationship with this club straight away. Like, I just felt so connected, you know, uh, going to Villa Park that early on and then, you know, coming back to Surrey in London and just like feeling so connected to a club, you know, it just meant so much to me. And ever since like that passion just kept growing and growing and growing. And, you know, they were always there in very difficult moments of my life, almost simultaneously, like kind of coming in, like when, you know, my mom passed away when I was like 13. So Vela was, you know, at the same time we won the league cup. So that kind of like gave me a little refuge. And then my father passed away later in my twenties. And that was when uh, uh, when we got relegated as well, just a few years before that. So it was just like there were there were a lot of layers that connected me to the club, and and, and they've always been there for me ever since. And Alberto Solano, 
who famously entered the Premier League as the first Peruvian with Newcastle and then and then went to Villa. That was another connection. So there was just a lot of things. And and they are my they're my love. And like, you know, my wife will tell you it's like, yeah, it's like Villa, then me. And I'm just like, sometimes it's difficult to argue with that. But but yeah, it's it, it's just, you know, they're a very important part of me. And 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 they're they're to me, they're more than just a club. They're they're part of they're part of who I am. You know, both of our wives can commiserate for yeah. their husbands. But um, but was it was Villa your first time that you felt home, away from home? Definitely. And it didn't need to be me being going to Villa Park. It was like I went to boarding school um, a few years after I went to England. And I would like, you know, it was also difficult because my first year in boarding school, my mother passed away. So it was just tough. I wasn't at home and my bed like on I would turn to my wall. And it was all Villa players and stuff. You know, Dwight York was like my hero back then. Like, and they can't, he, you know, it, it made me feel a sense of, uh, you know, feeling safe or, or whatever and comfortable. And, and definitely like to your point, like it was like my home uh, away from home. And, and that's kind of what football does. That's what soccer does. That's what sports does sometimes. People forget that. Like, yes, obviously the action and the trophies and, and the transfer stories, but really, the most important lesson that you can learn by being a fan is that, you know, it, it's about community and, and a sense of belonging to something bigger than yourself. I dare say it's it's like a religion. It's, it's you, you enter a stadium and you feel connected like immediately. And all of you in unison are together, uh, you know, pushing for one objective, which is like root for your team. It's a, It's a beautiful thing. It truly is. It truly, truly is. And as you're talking, I'm getting like misty eyed thinking about like the connections to my youth and my family and all of that. And it's just, it's two different teams. It's two different countries. It's, it's all these different things, but everything is exactly the same for you and I, and so many aspects of that fandom. It's, it's really, it's, it's astonishing and it's beautiful. And it's also, it kind of shows that we're all more alike than we are different, which, Definitely. you know, both speaking of more alike than they are different, both Villa and Peru are uh, the national team are have very similarities. They're both guided by grit, determination, force, and they're never the favorites. So, what is it like to be the hardworking underdog? Oh man, it's like living in a hole when you're trying to get out, and people keep pushing you down. <laughs> I don't know. Like honestly, I'm the kind of person that you know we're talking about community and and love and and what it means to be a fan. The other component is I I honestly I believe this in my core. You are not a proper supporter if you don't know what it means to suffer. Like if you don't understand the concept of suffering. If you don't know what it means to truly know what it's like to see either your team be relegated or not win or whatever, or in the case of uh, Peru, like, you know, like you said, like never really being the favorite, it, it, not making it to World Cup, like, you know, the 2018 World Cup was the first time in 36 years, obviously not there in Qatar, we lost to Australia in the lap, you know, if you don't know what it means to suffer, right, then you have no idea, you can't complete your entire picture of being a fan and i'm sorry if that sounds like you know uh strict or whatever but that's that's just the way i feel it's kind of like what i feel about life like in order to truly know happiness you must go through some suffering it's like victor frankl said a great quote it's my favorite quote what is to what is to give light must endure burning 
Like you, you have to go through pain before you truly know happiness. And that to me is, is the football supporter. So all these young fans that suddenly become a Man City fan or a, a Real Madrid or whatever, good for you. But just know that like you need to know what suffering is because that's when you truly appreciate and taste uh, the sweet juice of glory. It's it. I witnessed that last summer in 2021 when Italy got bumped from the World Cup. That was it. It felt like a funeral. I mean, I've seen Italy lose in finals, you know, 94, obviously the most famous. Um, I've seen them get bumped at a tournament, but not qualifying like that was sort of just that that doesn't happen. And then for to win in England that euro and then to not qualify again it was sort of it's this it's this yo-yoing but you know it is yeah it's it's a pain that is just bizarre it's a bizarre bizarre pain yeah and again like i'm talking from a team that has won that has right. been that have right. been victorious so i'm a little bit more spoiled so yeah. I, I can't fully relate but i can but relate. you understand the, yeah. the concept of suffering and victory and i've been to italy plenty of times of a lot of italian friends like it, that passion like is is just worn on your sleeve like like no other so you you have to go through suffering before you go through anything else that's when you'll truly understand what happiness means i think for sure you know now you've watched this game three different continents and many different countries obviously as as a tourist as a traveler but walk me through the differences between peruvian and english football and culture i mean there in many ways, extremely different uh, for obvious reasons, cultural being obviously the obvious one, uh, economical being the other one, uh, but they're also similar in, in many ways as well. You know, and when I talk of Peruvian football, I'm also talking about South American, I guess, you know, where there is such a deep connection with a club that goes beyond anything else. And, you know, whether it's, you know, a fan walking towards city ground in Nottingham Forest or, 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 or you know, in, in, the, in the stands for Alianza Lima, I think the connection is pretty similar uh, from that regard. I think the obvious differences are the cultural ones, you know, how, you know, there isn't that much uh, financial uh, help when it comes to Peruvian football. There needs to be a lot more development. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a second. So, you know, the English fan can sometimes, you know, think of themselves as, as very lucky because, you know, it, there's there's a lot that's wrong with with South American and Peruvian football that could be so much better, including the women's game as well. There still needs to be so much more to help the women's game in South America. So there's a lot of differences, but ultimately the core of it is, is the same, which is this like community based, undying, unconditional love for your club. Now, when... I, earlier this season, I interviewed someone who is a Uruguayan football historian, aficionado, and he was telling me something that kind of blew my mind. And he said, he's like, if you talk to any South American, it'll be very similar. Is that, and he used Luis Suarez, the mm -hmm. famous handball in the World Cup uh, many years ago against uh, Ghana, yes. as an example of like, I'm sitting there going, watching that game as someone that, on the outside of the culture saying oh, you idiot now you're going to miss the if you advance you're going to miss the next game you're the star player what are you doing mm. and his response to me was no man 
like in that moment, you do what you got to do. And it always, and he's like, that's the South. That's not just the Uruguayan way. That's the South American way. I, is that, is that true? Is that like a thing that, you know, like even will happen in Peru where whatever it takes to win or whatever it takes to do by any means necessary, if you will. Yeah. For good or bad. I mean, it, 100%, 100%. And it's not even about judging it, whether Lucho Suarez did the right thing or not to your point and to your interviewee's point. He's he or she is spot on, spot on. Like it, it's nothing to you. You have you have no regard for yourself at that point. It's about getting your nation, your team to the next to the next stage. It and that's absolutely that permeates throughout the entire continent and all over. To be honest, you can go. I think you can go to Italy and find that kind of passion. You can go to Spain and you know uh, it. It's just that, that undying need to just make it. Uh, it doesn't matter. The consequence will, will come later. It, you know, it's that famous line, you know, people say, uh, you know, that 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 football is, is, is not about life and death. And they're correct. It's much, much more than that. Like, you know, it's just this is it's just it's very difficult to explain it when you like people. It, it's kind of like my what I say when it comes to traveling. Like, people need to travel so you can truly understand you know, a different culture and a different way of living, truly understand it, not just read it, not just see it, not just take a photo of it and put it on Instagram, but truly understand what a culture goes through. And it's the same, like, you will not know until like you're literally, you know, until you go to La Bombonera and you see like Boca Junior fans, they're not just like singing and chanting. They're literally like, they're giving their absolute everything to just support their team because they're it, to them it's life and death it's it's really that that serious and and that absolutely that's everywhere in south america 100% i mean it really in so many ways is a defining characteristic of the south american people and yeah. not beyond sport beyond sport it's just yeah. for good or bad it's just yeah yeah 100% um now coming to america where the sport, which isn't new, but is treated as such and still blows my mind. What was that like for you? Coming to America? Well, I, so living in England, growing up in England, like I, my sister's still there. My cousins, I have some aunts. Like England is a very important part of uh, my life. And, you know, there are many moments when I say I wish I could be back there because it's a different obviously type of life as opposed to the US but growing up in England it was also very difficult for me to celebrate my Peruvian identity it got better as I got older but definitely when I first got there and I was young like I was almost ashamed of it because it's just not the Brits are they're very bad they're very good about a lot of things but they're very bad when it comes to cultural understanding like they really don't get it. I my name my name's Luis Miguel Echegaray, but people call me Luis or Louis. Like, and I was fine with it, but that's just little like little examples of how, you know, they they just can't quite grasp that you know there's another culture or whatever. Like you know, you see me on Twitter. Like I go nuts when like Liverpool Football Club's Twitter account puts Darwin Nunes and not Nunez because it's a you know just tiny things like that. So anyway, so in England. That I feel was being lost on me a little bit. And it wasn't until I moved to New York 
when I reclaimed it. And I felt so alive, like, because I was an actor for 15 years. The reason why I moved to New York was for acting school. And, you know, I went from Lewis in England and I was like, no, my name is Luis Miguel Echegaray. And I said that. And because of the Latino presence in this country and, and New York City being the multicultural melting pot that it is, I was like, finally, I'm back to owning who I am. And that to me was very important. And because I'm in New York City, like, you know, New Yorkers, we, you know, you know, there's like, we, we don't say whenever any, like my wife's American, like if we go to Europe and they say to her, oh, you're American, she'll be like, no, I'm a New Yorker. Like, it's, you know what I mean? Like, it's our different, it's our different, it's, it's our own little country because of, of, of just how many beautiful cultures and nations are in the, so moving to New York to me was like chapter three, right? And, and another proclamation of finally, this is who I am, like, you know, and that I'll be forever grateful for the U.S. and New York, because like I it's kind of it makes you reclaim that. And it's it's kind of amazing. When you sit down and write your memoirs, <laughs> allow me to write the forward, please. please. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Just putting that, that seed now for your memoirs. That's what, but um, represent. <laughs> That's it. Dude, so, so great. Now time for a coffee break. Curva Mundial is sponsored by Mod Cup Coffee in Jersey City. But you can get it anywhere in the world from modcup.com. Mod Cup, drink modern coffee. Use code MUNDIAL for 10% off your first order. Got three questions for you that I ask everybody. Yeah. Uh, you can answer this as either a Peru supporter or a Villa supporter or both. Just let me know. Uh, question one. If you could bring back one retired player to your club or country, alive or dead, who would it be and why? I mean, I can do both. I mean, with Peru, it's definitely Cuillas. Uh, he's still alive, but Teofilo Cuillas, you know, uh, arguably the most well-known, greatest Peruvian player. Um, you know, people say that he was the Peruvian Pele, but in Peru, we say that Pele is the Brazilian Cuillas. Uh, so I would love, you know, I, I had the pleasure of meeting him, uh, years ago and it's just amazing. So, uh, Nene Cuillas for sure for Peru and for Villa, you know, Dwight York was my childhood hero, but I guess I'm going to try and connect it to what we need right now, which is like, we need a, a better midfield. So like, you know, we need some, we need a good eight, uh, or, or, or we need somebody right there in the trenches that can help Buba Kamara and, and Douglas Luis. So, you know, take your pick, I guess. I mean, I, I, oh no, well, I'll tell you one thing. I'm sorry. Paul McGrath, the greatest player I think probably Villa has ever had, one of the greatest center backs the game has ever seen. My God, could we use his leadership uh, uh, right now? Uh, he just an absolute legend. We call him God at Villa uh, because oh. that's literally who he is. But, you know, probably like somebody like that or, or uh, Dalian Atkinson, who scored arguably the greatest goal Villa has ever scored. If you've never seen it, please watch it. A goal against Wimbledon way back in the day. Tremendous. So those players, Stylian Petrov in the midfield, those will probably be my choices right there. You can't ask me this question, Sal, because I'm just going to give you 100 names. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. That's cool. It's, it's your episode. You can do what you want. Rewrite yeah. my rules, man. Uh, but shout out to Paul McGraw, young kids. Young center backs should go on YouTube and watch what he did for uh, the Republic of Ireland and and Aston Villa, and of course, Manchester United, and so on. 
Like, oh, what a center back, man. My God. <laughs> All right. Now, money is not an option here. Again, both club and national. Uh, if your teams or team could sign one player today, who would it be and why? Okay, I'll stick with Villa here, obviously, because it's a transfer situation. Um, I mean, ob the obvious answers, right, are, you know, Erling Haaland or Kylian Mbappé or Vinicius Jr. I, I, I'm, you know, I just think that we are watching. I mean, Kylian Mbappé to me is 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 a freak, right? Like, like so young, World Cup winner, can do it all. He, I mean, you saw what he did against Juventus in the Champions League, obviously, this is coming out weeks uh, after that. But I honestly, I don't think we've ever seen anything like Erling Haaland. He, it's kind of ridiculous. He's massive. He's so good in the air. He's built like, you know, like a towering NFL player. But he's also really agile. He's very fast. And the thing I like about him is that he gives zero fucks and you can believe that like ah, it's fine this is an uncensored podcast he doesn't he just does not care like and i have never seen like there are there's definitely like obviously it, through the years of, of of strikers we have seen some tremendous legendary players but just the way that he's built and the way that he just penetrates the box and can do it all to me it's amazing. Erlen Haaland is just ridiculous. When you have Erlen Haaland on your team, and then Kevin De Bruyne, that's just not even fair. Right? It's not fair. It's not fair. <laughs> it's, uh, that team manages itself. You don't need, uh, you know, a supposed world-class coach there. Yeah. I, you know, every, I, I feel, and I'm going to admit this, and I'm putting this on wax now, um, every single time I count Erling Haaland out because I'm an idiot, um, he just constantly comes back and proves me wrong. Cause it just, cause again, for all the reasons why you said, cause I'm like, I don't want him to fail. I, I, you know, I have nothing against him. I'm very, but like, there is something that I'm just like, I don't know. It's too good to be true. It doesn't, this is not, he's not going to do well in Premier league. He's not going to do well uh, in city. You know what? And he's and just wrong. Like, he's he's been a monster. I mean, look, fair yeah. play. He plays for Manchester City, so that definitely helps. But but this man is like it, it's not even like you have to watch the way he plays. Like people say, oh, he's a lot in the box, and he just taps it in from a De Bruyne cross. He's doing a he's lot of really more, hard yeah. things that 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 people don't understand. He is a tremendous, tremendous athlete, and it's a damn shame. Because Martin Odegaard is a fine player too, yeah. and they have some others as well. But it's a damn shame that Norway are not at the World Cup because we're not going to see Erling Haaland at the World Cup, which is kind of ridiculous. It is. It is. You know, we could, but you could put, but after everything that you just said, and you had said the most important word, athlete, you can put him at Monza, last place in City A right now. Good score. And he would, and he would, he would probably get them at least, at least tenth, ninth, you know, middle table. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So I need to, you know, just. Yes. appreciate him and again Mbappe is a freak so it's just two beautiful players we're living no, in I mean we're we're very lucky to see the future here of, that's of it that's that's it um and finally finally what has been your favorite moment as a fan ever ever oh well I mean from a Peruvian perspective making it to the World Cup in 2018 was amazing so I'll definitely put that up because obviously uh I was only uh a year old and in, in, in 1982 you know the last time so like seeing Peru make it to the World Cup and in, in in 2018 is definitely from a Peruvian standpoint 
definitely the highlight. And then, well, I mean, from the other side for Villa, I mean, there's a few. I, you know, I was there when when we won the League Cup uh, in 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 '96. You know, uh, Brian Little and stuff. Uh, you know, that to me was just uh, amazing, like an amazing moment. And and that team was amazing, uh, just an amazing, uh, incredible moment. And uh, you know, also the the, the '94 one as well. So the, the to me those those League Cup moments are just incredible, just incredible. I mean, Andy Townsend was man of the match, and it was against Leeds, and we were so good, man. We absolutely smoked them. We won three 0 It was so good. It's just a, a great atmosphere. And you know what? There was no Twitter back then, and all that stuff. And I know that I'm kind of contradicting myself because I teach this stuff in my graduate school of journalism. I try and help students understand how to use social media to be better reporters and stuff but it was so great to just enjoy the moment as a kid and not be like you know so that i would say that that league cup in 96 uh pr- probably my, my my favorite moment love it Luis miguel thank you so much for your time thank you so much for everything that you've done i mean i want to just just nerd out for a hot sec before i let you go i know we're a little over on the time here but um you're you came into my radar in a very dark time in the middle of this pandemic and you brought a smile to me and so many others so on behalf of all of us that have been on the train supporting you just thank you man thank you for being being like a beacon of hope in like really 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 shitty times so thank you man oh i really appreciate it man and listen keep up the good work and you know you're such a great supporter and and a great uh human and 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 i wish you nothing but the best sal man and, and good luck and I- italy will come back stronger than ever <laughs> for the next world cup for sure sounds good man and then uh you know we we can uh go cheer on lapadula as well so hell yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> thank you again follow us on twitter at curva mundial pod and subscribe to us on spotify and apple podcasts thanks for listening